Okay, we are continuing along the chronological life of Jesus Christ. And we are going to be reading from a portion today, Mark chapter 10, reading from verse 1. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Now let me say that what we're speaking about today is the topic of divorce. And uh, um, so, so it's a topic that impacts many. The divorce rate in the United States is over 50%. The divorce rate in the church in the United States is also over 50%. So this impacts many. I, I don't particularly enjoy speaking on the topic of divorce because it leaves a lot of people feeling convicted if they've gone through a divorce. It's easier for me to speak on the topic in a college class because many of the people haven't yet married, so they haven't yet been divorced. Although that's not always the case. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the scriptures say and begin to study this. What I'm going to focus in more on today is the negative side, the divorce side. And then next week uh, uh, we'll talk more about the complement of that, making marriages work and, 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 and really enjoying a thriving marriage. So we're reading from verse 1. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him. And according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Now we're in Mark chapter 10, verse 2. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And he answered and he said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Okay, so what we see in verse 1 is that, is that he was... So, so remember, this is just before he's going to be on his final trip to, to Jerusalem. He went up <clears throat> into the Galilee and now he comes back down beyond the Jordan. That means he's now on the east side of the Jordan. According to his custom, he began to teach them. Then it says in verse 2, Some Pharisees came up to Jesus testing him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. Now, uh, um, why would this be a test? Why is it a test that Pharisees are questioning him? And the reason this is a test is because he is on the east side of the Jordan River. When he's on the east side of the Jordan River, he is in the domain of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the, is, uh, the, the particular Herod that had had John the Baptist beheaded for questioning his marriage, and it was particularly put up to him by Herodias, his, uh, his, uh, Herod Antipas' wife, Herodias, because of their illegitimate marriage, because she had really been married to Antipas' brother, Philip. And when John started to question them in that, John lost his head for that. They are hoping that Jesus is also going to speak against Antipas in this case. And that will 
allow then Antipas to take care of this problem that the Pharisees have, namely Jesus. And, and so that's what the test is. <clears throat> and then they say to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And what we're going to see is how radical Jesus is in his mindset and in his thought. There is this attitude sometimes among modern women that know nothing about the Scriptures to say that Jesus was anti-woman. In fact, Jesus was a tremendous liberator of women. When you look at the mindset and the thought of that time and what Jesus came through conceptually for helping women, it was women that aided Him throughout His ministry. It was women that surrounded the foot of the cross when the disciples had fled. It was to a woman that Jesus first appeared after He had risen from the dead. Not to one of His apostles, but to a woman. What we're going to see here is, is again, His speaking in the liberty of women. And, and uh, he, says, he said to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined, let no man separate. It was never his intent to have divorce at all. It was never God's intent to have divorce. That was not in God's plan. And so when he says to the Pharisees, what did Moses command you? They say, well, he, he told us that we could have this, this uh, written action of divorce. He says, that was out of concession because of your hardness of heart. It's as if I tell my child you can't do something. And then they ask me they, they, a little while later, can they do it? I say, no, you can't do that. They come back a little while later and they say, you can't do that. I'm like, look, if you want to do it, do it. And then they go off, Dad said, I can do it. But you see the difference. It was out of concession. I had had enough with their rebellion, and so I allowed them to go in that direction. That was what the written action of divorce was allowed to do. And that's what he began to tell them. Now, this Mark's Gospel was written to the Gentiles. It was, it was written to the Romans, to the Gentile people. And so when we're going to look at another passage in Matthew, the same account and how that gospel was written to the Jews, and how Jesus spent, then, uh, then, then Matthew records it a little bit differently. All the words are the same, but there's other words that are spoken that Mark doesn't key in on, Matthew does. So, so you see that, that, that divorce was never supposed to be. From the beginning, that was never the intent. And then he says that... Uh, the two shall become one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. If you go into marriage thinking that there is a way out in divorce, you're probably going to end up in it. But if you go into marriage that we're not getting divorced, we're going to work through these things, that gives you tremendous strength in your marriage. When I got married, I made a promise to God. There was a promise made to God. That means something. I made a promise to my wife. I also made a promise to God. And so, in verse 10 it says, In the house, the disciples began to question Him about this again. And He said to them, and he said to them 
Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. What you see here is something that that he's speaking now. There can be an equality in this relationship. That the man can commit adultery because where the rabbis had brought this, and it's in the rabbinic literature today. The rabbinic literature remains. The Mishnah. It remains. And in there you can see that the man could not commit adultery against his wife because it wasn't adultery for the man to do this sort of thing. Oh, how convenient for the man. But if a woman committed adultery, that was real adultery. And so Jesus now is bringing equality to the situation here. Now let's look to the portion in Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. This is the same account, and we'll read it, but this is as it's written to a Jew. When Jesus had finished, Matthew chapter 19 verse 1. When Jesus had finished these words, He departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed Him, and He healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing Him and and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And He answered and He said, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So, let's, start, let's, let's look from the beginning again. This is the same account. They're beyond the Jordan. Same thing happening. Two different accounts of, 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 of how this is occurring. And it, and it says, it says um, uh, that... In verse 3, the Pharisees came to Jesus, testing Him and asking Him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Mark stopped, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Period. Well, actually, the question was more detailed, for any reason at all. They are making reference to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It says, in, in the law of Moses, it says in Deuteronomy 24, 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that he finds no fa- that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. And then it goes on. This, this word that in our English says an indecency in her, indecency, this is two words in the Hebrew that are not well understood to this day and even at the time. There were two schools of thought in, in uh, uh, 100 in, in the first century BC. So a hundred years before Jesus is speaking, there are two dominant schools of thought in Judaism. There are two rabbinic schools of thought. One is the rabbinic school of Hillel, and the other is the rabbinic school of Shammai. Shammai took a very narrow view of this word indecency. 
meaning that there had to be some sort of sexual incompatibility with this woman. And only based upon that, there was some sexual disorder with this woman. And only on that basis could they divorce. Whereas the school of Hillel said that word means for anything at all. In fact, Hillel, the rabbi Hillel wrote, and you can read that to this day, if she, your wife, should oversalt your food, that is enough reason that you could have a divorce. And in fact, in, in the second century AD, so the century after Jesus lived, other rabbis expounded upon that and went even further and said, if a man, in the school of Hillel, if a man sees a woman that he feels is more beautiful than his wife, that is also grounds for divorcing his first wife. So this is the extreme that Jesus is dealing with. So that's why when they come to him in Matthew chapter, chapter 1, and they say to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? They're saying, is the Hillel school right? We don't know if the Hillel school Pharisee is asking this or the Shammai school Pharisee is asking, but for any reason at all. In other words, is the Hillel school correct in saying any reason at all? And then Jesus goes in and he speaks about how he had created them male and female and what his original intent was. And we'll speak more about that next week. The beauty of the original intent in marriage. But now we're dealing with the negative side of all of this. And then again he goes on to say, what God has joined, let no man separate. Don't go into this thing thinking you're going to have a divorce or that's a way out. You go into this with, we're going to make this thing work. Because you will have troubles. The scriptures say, in this world you will have tribulations. But fear not, I have overcome the world. That's what the scriptures say. I can tell you, in, in marriage you will have troubles. But those troubles can be overcome. Because God's highest order was for there always to be forgiveness and reconciliation in every human relationship. That has been His highest order. Reconciliation. Forgiveness, repentance, and reconciliation. The reunification. That is God's highest order. Always has been, always will be. He will not change. And so they pushed Him on this. He says, this was never His intent. He gave this to you out of concession because of your hardness of heart. Because man pushed him so much. He says, okay, here you go. If you're going to have divorce, here are the constraints under which you can have it. And so they, they say to him in verse 7, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it has not been this way. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now why doesn't he say the other side of this, the woman to the man? Because he's speaking, because the recorder here, Matthew, is recording this for a Jewish audience. In fact, in Israel, even up till this day, or if they've changed it, it's only been a recent thing, a woman could not 
divorce her husband. I mean, even, I'm talking about 21st century, a woman could not divorce her husband. In rabbinic regulation, could not be done. So it's not even an issue for Matthew to raise up here. Do you see what I mean? But when Mark is recording this for Gentiles, he's saying, hey, this is all balanced out here. Matthew knows that they are under a rabbinic regulation here. So he doesn't bring up the other half. But what he does say, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So he says that there is one reason and one reason only that you can have for having a divorce. And that is immorality. This word immorality is porneia. Porneia, it's the origin of our word pornography. It means fornication. It doesn't mean just adultery. It means fornication. Fornication is a larger context than adultery. Fornication includes lesbianism, includes homosexuality, it includes bestiality, it includes incest, it includes sexual disorderly conduct. This is what it includes. That word pornea is what it's speaking of there. It is, it is uh, uh, what we would call fornication. It is a broader context. He says there is one reason and one reason only. And that is based on this immorality, this fornication. That is the only reason. And that doesn't mean it has to take places. The better thing would be repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation. And if you say, I, I, I could never forgive my spouse if that happened. Well, what else could you never forgive? There's going to be a lot of things in your marriage. And I'm not saying that that will be easy to recover from. No way. That will take years, if not decades of counseling to recover from. But there are people who have been involved in that and have recovered and marriages have been rebuilt. Marriages have been rekindled. And it has been a glorious testimony of what God can do. And there are others who have Hold, uh, held fast, never, never. And they've let this thing end without even trying to work through it. And they've regretted it as they've looked a decade out and said, well, I really wish I had made that better because life doesn't automatically get all better if you get the divorce. And so he says, on this basis only, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there this, this issue of, of adultery was not, a, was, it didn't allow one for divorce. It didn't allow one for divorce. Let me, let me, just, let me just summarize this for you because I, I, I think that this is important that, that we summarize this. Um, uh, so so we, we summarize what, what, what um, the difference between what was happening in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, so uh, if, if we begin to look at this, under the Mosaic Law, there, are two, there were two grounds for divorce. The first ground was sexual incompatibility, and that's what this phrase is actually referring to. In the Mosaic Law, <clears throat> adultery was not grounds for divorce, believe it or not. Adultery in the Mosaic Law wasn't grounds for divorce. Woman commits adultery, that's not grounds for divorce, because that was grounds for execution. If a woman commits adultery, she was executed, and the widower is always free to remarry. 
Widows, widowers throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament are always free to remarry. So the issue of adultery was not an issue of divorce in the Old Testament. Issue of adultery was issue of execution. Um, so so the, second, the second ground for divorce in the Old Testament was based on religious incompatibility. We see that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, where men had married foreign wives who continued in pagan worship, continued in worshiping gods who were not the God of Israel. And they were told to do away with those wives. The issue was not that they were Gentiles. Gentiles that came and followed the practices of the Jewish nation, they were embraced in and they became one with that nation. For example, Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess, but she said, my God will be your God. Uh, uh, My ways will be your ways. And she became the great-grandmother of David. So she very much had to be Jewish or else David wouldn't be Jewish. <laughs> that wouldn't be a very good-sounding thing to a Jew to hear that. And so, so, um, uh, so you see that, that uh, uh, there was grounds for divorce because, because of, of, of some incompatibility with a woman, but also because of religious incompatibility. There was grounds for divorce. And, and uh, that's what it was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, uh, uh, this changes. Uh, in the Old Testament, any time there was a valid grounds for divorce, was there a valid ground? A valid ground for divorce was this religious incompatibility, for example. The men were then free to remarry. If there were had been a valid ground for divorce, it always, in the Old Testament, permitted remarriage. Alright, so now both of these Old Testament grounds for divorce are rescinded in the New Testament. Both of them are rescinded in the New Testament. Uh, The sexual incompatibility is rescinded by the paragraphs we just read. So one cannot just argue that I'm not sexually compatible with my wife, so I'm going to get a divorce. No, that is rescinded. Or a woman to say, well... You know, I, I don't really enjoy this with my husband. That's grounds for divorce. No, that, that does not exist anymore. Jesus speaks about that. If anyone divorces his spouse and marries another, they are committing adultery. In other words, the one who has initiated the divorce on an illegitimate ground cannot remarry. You say, well, I can if I want to. Yes, you can. You certainly can. In disobedience to the Word of God, you can do anything you want. You can go out and kill somebody. You can do whatever you want. God does not contain us in that way. But if you want to walk scripturally, if you initiate a divorce, and that divorce had not been on the basis of immorality, then you cannot remarry because it was not a legitimate divorce in God's eyes. You cannot remarry. Just telling you what the scriptures say. You don't like it? Throw away your Bible. I'm just the messenger here. Right? So, so both of those were, were rescinded in the New Testament. The, the, uh, the incompatibility, the, the uh, religious incompatibility is not a grounds for divorce except in one case. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it tells us what that case is. It tells us what the case is uh, uh, where there can be religious incompatibility. 
So if we turn to 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, let's look at verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. But I say, but to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. So in other words, here is a brother, a man who is a believer, who has a wife who is an unbeliever. He cannot divorce her. Cannot say, well, you know, she's not a Christian, I only want to be married to a Christian. Now this only has reference to a couple who is married. And now, while in marriage, one of those two becomes a believer. One of those two accepts Jesus, becomes a Christian. It is not that those two started out and one of them was a believer, the other one wasn't, and then they get married. They make a decision to get married. The believer now has, in disobedience to the Word of God, become unequally yoked by marrying a spouse, marrying a person who was an unbeliever. Believer married to unbeliever. They're stuck in that marriage. You want to walk biblically? You cannot get divorced. This is only for those who have found themselves in marriage and then one of the parties gets saved. And it says that your wife's not a believer. You cannot divorce her just because she's not a believer. And a woman, in verse 13, who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her... She must not send her husband away. You see how revolutionary the Word of God is? It is putting equality in the marriage. It is not, no, the man can do this, the woman can't do that. No. It is equal. It is equal in marriage now. Jesus has taken women. The Word of God, this New Testament has taken women and elevated them to equality with men. Their purposes may be very different, but who they are and who they are in Christ, there is equality. How they function in divorce, there is equality in this. So if, an unbelieving, if a woman becomes a believer, so unbelieving couple, the woman becomes a believer. She can't say, well, I want to divorce my husband and go marry some believing man because he's not a, he, this husband I have isn't a Christian. No, if he consents to live with her, she has to remain with him. It says in verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such a case, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So, if a couple, unbelieving couple, one of them becomes a Christian. Say the the woman becomes a Christian. She cannot divorce her husband. But if the husband doesn't want to live with her anymore, and he wants out because she's become a Christian, she is not to not not be a Christian for his sake. She is to remain a believer in Jesus Christ. She is a believer. That takes precedence. If he says, I'm out of here if you, if you don't stop being a Christian, she's to just let him go. She is no longer under obligation. That is the second case in the New, York, in the New Testament. The only second reason why 
a person can have a divorce. And in that case, in, in that case, there is a scriptural rationale for, for, for the divorce. And in that case, and in that case only, it seems as if there is a remarriage possible. And there seems to be a difference here among the churches. And the difference is not often easy to interpret. But I will tell you that in every case in the Bible, when there was a legitimate divorce, and in the New Testament, it's only because of immorality or because of one party in a marriage where one of the two got saved and the other one left. Those are the only legitimate reasons for a divorce. And throughout the Bible, when there was a legitimate reason for a divorce, it permitted remarriage for the innocent party. It permitted remarriage for the innocent party. We do also know from the passages that we read in Matthew that, and, and, and in Mark, the one who divorces his wife and marries another is committing adultery. It is a sin to do that. The question comes, what happens to the innocent party in that deal? Christian couple, man has an affair, divorces his wife, marries some other woman. Alright? What happens now to the innocent party? In the scriptures, when there was a legitimate reason for divorce, the innocent party could remarry. However, this is interpreted differently by different churches because it's not as clear as we would like. In fact, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but Greek scholars who study the text say that it's not that clear to them. It is not that clear. So, all we can say is, a church ought to choose where it's going to come down. Can the innocent party that had nothing to do with this... Now, the innocent party in this, the innocent party in a legitimate divorce is allowed to remarry. It's if the innocent party in a divorce that is illegitimate. So, the man doesn't have... So, so we have a couple. The man does not have an immoral relationship. He's just like, hey, I'm just tired of living with you. Happens all the time. And he divorces this woman and he goes away. Can this woman remarry? There was never an issue of immorality. There was never an issue of immorality. So this was not a legitimate divorce. But the woman had no say in this. Often, this is what happens. What happens to the innocent party in an illegitimate divorce? And that's where the question comes in. Some will say the innocent party is free to remarry. Others would say, no, they're not free to remarry. And I make no decision on that. All I know is for myself, I hope I am never in that situation. I pray to God that I am never in that situation. But I am judging no one. If the innocent party in that situation, a illegitimate divorce, the innocent party, the one that did not initiate the divorce, are they free to remarry? Some Greek scholars would say no. Other Greek scholars would say yes. I don't know. I'm not a scholar. And I make no judgments. For who are you, the scriptures say, to judge your brother? Before his own master, he will stand or fall. And stand he will, for God is able to make him stand. So that's the basis I take. I'm not judging my brother. What I would do for myself in that situation, I would pray to God and seek God for myself as to what I would do in that situation. But you see that it's not that clear. 
What's clear is, if there's an innocent party in a legitimate divorce, they can remarry. What's unclear, what happens to the innocent party in an illegitimate divorce. And all of this is nasty business. And never was the intent of God. Do you see that this has only come because of the hardness of man's heart? It was never supposed to be like this. And you look at this, you say, wow, how gross is this? Well, the scriptures give us the way to deal with things because of the grossness of our hearts. As the scriptures put it, because of the hardness of our hearts. But it was never intended to be this way. We will talk more about this next time. But one of the keys here is, for young people, is this very thing. Be very careful before you start getting in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex. Because what happens is, the relationship has a way of just getting more and more involved, and it's harder and harder to break out of that relationship. You want to know from God very early on whether this is of the Lord and if it's not. And one of the most difficult things is hearing God about a relationship when you're at a stage in your life when your hormones are going crazy. This is a chemical thing. And, uh, uh, and it can be extremely strong and you can hear voices that you might think are God and it's just it's just actually small molecule interactions that are occurring <laughs> that are giving you these voices. And this is why it's so important to have third party assurance. That you get assurances from third parties. Who are the third parties? Not your beer drinking buddies. They will steer you wrong every time. It is people that you really respect that have been through this and people who have no personal stake in this thing. When you got this when you're getting attracted in this relationship, and this is this is part of the problem that happens when the relationship starts becoming physical. Now what happens is there's all these other molecules that turn on that are causing people to bind together physically and emotionally and it makes it very hard to undo. And you think, well, well, if I just don't go through with this now, now it's just, we're just too tied together. And then you're in a real mess. I can concur. It's sometimes too hard to untangle now. And then you're in a real mess. And then a few years into marriage, it starts really getting into trouble. It was never intended to be that way. Next week, we'll talk about the way it was intended to be. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for the truth of Your Word. Lord God, I pray for these young people that You would cause them to flow in healthy relationships. Father, that they wouldn't become so involved with another person that they would, they would not be able to hear anymore. That they wouldn't be so enthralled with another person that they wouldn't be able to to submit that to others to help them to pray through that to discern the will of God Father that they would take this Lord I pray that they, these young people would take this seriously 
and with caution. Because you never meant for divorce to be. It was never your intent. And Father, I pray for these young people that you would give them strong and healthy marriages by the grace of God. And your mercies be upon these young people, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.